My name is Israel Gonzalez. I am so glad to be here. Uh, I li- actually live in Santa Maria. How many have ever been down there? All right, all right. I'm actually from Oxnard Ventura. How many have been there? Don't worry, I'm not going to list through all the cities I've been to, okay? But it's so good to be here. I was on staff at Highlands for a couple years, and remember way back when, uh, I was just, just right now, just remembering when there was not Highlands Church. In fact, there was a vision to plant a church here, and uh, I remember having conversations and hearing the discussions and the prayer with uh, probably people that you've never met, uh, Dr. Ken Working, Dr. John Chandler, and they looked for a church planner, and they found one in Grand Baird, and his brother tagged along and did a great job, Jamie, and I remember coming here, going into downtown, and there was no services yet, and they were just in this really nice-looking office, and working and wondering how, what is God going to do? And here we are, 10 years later, God's still doing a work through you, and He is not done with you. Amen? So we have lots of work to do. And also, I'm really pleased to be here because of my dear friend, that you, you, are, have, you have blessed leadership here, a trusted, trusted friend of mine, uh, Dr. Pastor Reverend Jim Witte. We go back 10, uh, ten years. We were pastoring all, uh, also in Santa Maria together for a brief time. And I came up and had lunch with him. I showed him one of my favorite spots. Have you gone back since? Yeah. You did go back. Okay. So that's a good thing. If you're interested in that, you can email me. That, uh, I'm just joking. It's a good, good place here in town. Anyway, it's so good to be with you. Let's pray before we get into the Word of God. Lord, thank you that what you do lasts, that what you say stands. Lord, thank you that your word is not like all the other words we hear that just fall flat. But your word goes out, does not come back void. Your word creates where there was nothing before. Your word heals where there was only brokenness. Lord, your word is unlike any other word. So we ask that you would speak to us through the word that we've received by the power of your spirit. Lord, do not only come in word only, come in power. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So good to be with you on Palm Sunday. I love movies with time machines, and I've been quizzing the first two services about how many movies they could tell me have time machines, and the first one that they said that has a time machine was? Oh, I heard different answers there. Okay. Uh, Back to the Future usually was the first one, but there's time machine, all kinds of time machines. I love time machine movies because it'd be interesting. If you had a time machine, where would you go? Well, I think we'd all... Can you imagine if we had one time machine and we all had to agree where we were going to go? There'd be a lot of division, right? Like, no, that's not where I want to go. I don't want to go back five years when you were good at football uh, in your high school. You know, I don't want to go there. I want to go 500 years ago. Can you imagine have to come to agreement? The church has a hard time agreeing on anything. But can you imagine that? I love time machine movies. I want to suggest to you that this palm branch that we've been waving is a time machine. I want you to imagine that you were a pilgrim, a a person that in your youth had been going to Jerusalem. You've been walking for eight days. 
That's a long time to walk. How many know that's a long time to walk? There's no car. There's no train. You are making your way to Jerusalem because the great feast, the great festival of the Passover is going to be celebrated. And if, if you were to miss all the other festivals, this one you would not miss. Even if you were poor, you would save up your money, you would do whatever you could to go every single year whenever possible. You walk for eight days perhaps. You make your way south along the Jordan River because it's wise to travel along a river, right? Because not everywhere is there a gas station. Obviously not. You have to travel where there is water. Like any traveler, after many days of travel, you see palm trees, the palm trees of Jericho, shimmering in the desert heat. And how many know that's a good sight when you see shade after being in the sun? You lie down. You enjoy a nice drink of water. That's a good gift from God when you're thirsty on a hot day drinking water in the shade. You know what? Sometimes we expect really huge, complicated things, but some of the best things in life, my my father-in-law, who's going to come tomorrow, spend Holy Week with us. He's from Dallas, actually from India. I love my father-in-law to death. And uh, I, I love eating with him and cooking with him. Okay, um, that's not in my notes. But anyway, why am I? He says the simple pleasures of life. He always says that. Simple pleasures. Why do we make things so complicated? A cool drink in the shade. After that, you begin your long climb up toward this holy city, toward the city of David, the city where King David was, where he danced when the ark of the Lord came back, where God's name was proclaimed, where Israel was on top, where the temple was built after David by Solomon, a temple that would bring guests and visitors from all over the world, especially the faithful. You make your way to the last few miles into a little village, a little town called Bethany. That's where Lazarus and his sisters were. That was a favorite place of Jesus, a place where Jesus himself was, the place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And you get there before sundown because it's Friday. Because when the sun goes down on Friday, you know it is no time to work or to be on the road. That is the Sabbath, and you need to rest. How many love rest? My goodness, I love rest. Rest reminds us that we are limited, that we cannot fix everything with our economic or with our strength, with all our mights and all our skills. Sometimes you just have to realize, in fact, every Sabbath you should realize God is at work even when you are not at work. And you need to rest in His work, not just in yours. There you will find a home in Bethany. You'll see old friends. Those relationships will be renewed. The Sabbath will be a day of rest for you from a long journey. And you look forward to being in Jerusalem for Passover. You rise early 
after the Sabbath on a Sunday morning. You leave the house. You walk up the road. The rising sun is behind you. You crest the hill and the city faces you. Jerusalem clings to this jagged hill. And you look at its beauty. And you see the stunning sight of the temple with the gold on top of it. And the light blinds you depending on the angle. The city has huge, great stone walls. And though its defense is amazing, it is under occupation by the Roman government. A foreign, pagan, very, very amazing in their strength, in their military strength, they are in charge. Your taxes go to them. How would you like to pay? How many of you know it's not fun to pay taxes, right? It's almost tax season. Thanks for reminding me, right? But how would you love to pay taxes to another government that, that doesn't believe in your God? That does so with military might. And how would you like to pay taxes to people in your own city who sold out who make money off collecting taxes from their own people. You go to the temple, and as you draw near the temple, your heart beats faster. Your excitement builds. You see the massive gate of the temple, but as you approach, you see and hear clamor. You hear cheers ringing forth, and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Take a look at the text. John chapter 12, it goes like this. The next day, that is after Jesus was anointed in Bethany, he was anointed with very costly perfume. He smells of that beautiful gift. The next day the great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, which literally means save us. Save, please. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's coat. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, that is, after Holy Week, much later, after he was killed, after he resurrected, even when his ascension, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. This is the word of the Lord. You're there with the crowd of people. You see the people waving palm branches and you can see that they're welcoming a man riding on a donkey. What does all this mean? Why is this man on a donkey? They are receiving him as a king and yet he's on a what? Not the most impressive animal to ride in a triumphal entry. Have any of you heard of donkey power? No, we speak of horsepower. Why is the crowd shouting and waving palm branches as he rides into the holy city? I want you to step out of the time machine now, and I want you actually to consider a time before. 
Do you realize that John is the only gospel that I can see that mentions palm branches? What do these palms mean? Would any other tree branch serve as well? Was it a matter of just taking whatever branch they could find and putting it on the road? Even some put their coats, their favorite, their best coat on the ground so that even the animal wouldn't touch the dirt. He was received like no other. But what do the palms mean? It all depends who you ask. If you ask certain people that Jesus was receiving their praise, they would tell you most likely of an event that happened almost 200 years before. Much in the same way that the Civil War is still in our framework, in our frame of mind. There's still documentaries. It still has an impression. It still shapes our country in many ways. 200 years earlier, there's a story of someone called Simon Maccabeus. It is not found in the Old Testament, but in the apocryphal book. That is the book that was in between the last prophet and the time that John the Baptist preaches. It is a helpful book and a series that deals with the history of the in-between time. Two centuries before this first Palm Sunday, there was a brutal and genocidal man named Antiochus Epiphanes. He was not born with such a name. He changed his first name and he changed his last name. And his last name is the one that's interesting because it means God appearing, God manifest. In other words, my last name needs to let you know I am God. And he ruled Palestine. He was a Seleucid emperor. He was a Hellenistic apostle. And he forbade the practice of Judaism. He told those Jews, you do not practice your faith here. I am king. You will serve me. And you will practice what I tell you to practice. In 167 BC, he set up an altar to Zeus in the temple. He set up the image of Zeus in the temple. If you'd never heard the Ten Commandments, you might remember no graven images, no other gods. So that was a huge problem. And as if that was not painful and shameful enough, he sacrificed pigs on the altar. And they called this act in the book of Daniel the abomination of desolations. The worst thing that could happen. Antiochus, as I said, was an apostle of Hellenism. In other words, he intended to bring his entire kingdom under the influence of Greek ideas and the Greek religion. He was an evangelist. How many know every ideology, everyone is an evangelist? Even people that don't know Jesus, they are an evangelist for something. Their own way of thinking, their ideas, their culture, they want to export everything that they love. That's how we're wired problem is what is true what is real the book of maccabees witnesses to this resolve and i want to warn you this is graphic this is what it says this is what antiochus did to people who did not follow what he said they put to death that is antiochus and his soldiers put to death women who had their children circumcised which was the sign of the covenant And not just that, their families as well. And those who circumcised them. And they hung the infants from their mother's necks. 
Why? Why do something so gruesome to show anyone how that you mess with us, this is what happens to you. Don't you dare practice your faith. I, you know, I was not going to read this scripture, which is a wonderful text. By, I say scripture loosely. This text. It's a helpful text. It's not, we don't see it as the word of God, but it's helpful to understand the climate that Jesus himself lived in. Stung by this outrage, there was an old priest named Mattathias who rounded up his five sons and every weapon they can find, and he started a campaign against Antiochus, a guerrilla campaign. And Mattathias dies early in the revolt, and his son Judas, which happened to be a very good name back then, Judas Maccabeus, Maccabeus is, is another way of saying the hammer, that's how strong he was, and he was able in three years to defeat Antiochus and to cleanse and rededicate the temple. And that is where we get that Jewish holiday, Hanukkah, or Hanukkah. But the fighting wasn't over. It takes 20 more years before the third brother, because Judas and Jonathan, other brothers died in the fighting, they were able to vi- eventually secure Jewish independence. Not only did they rededicate the temple and cleanse it, not only were they able to defeat Antiochus, they were finally sovereign as a nation again. And guess what? It only lasted until the Romans came. And there they are back again. 1 Maccabees 13 says this. You say, man, you're, you're reading more Maccabees than John. But I think it's helpful. This is what it says. It describes the celebration that took place at that time. On the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, the Jews entered Jerusalem with praise and palm branches, with harps and cymbals and string instruments, with bass guitars, with hymns and songs because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. The piece of Jewish history helps us understand the mindset of those who came out to meet Jesus with palm branches. You see, we don't understand. We don't understand because we're so far removed in culture and history. But if you were there, you would know that the palm branches meant political, national pride and expectations they went out to meet him like people meet a king because that's what they expected him to be and that's really who he is and they shouted blessed is the one who comes in the name of the lord psalm 118 verse 26 which originally is translated i think to welcome those in the plural those who actually come to the city of jerusalem as pilgrims but eventually it stops only being recognized as a pilgrim psalm it's recognized as a messianic psalm a psalm of anticipation and expectation it changed from the they that come to the he who will come blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord Kind of like, hail to the Jeep, or God save the Queen. It was filled with political expectation that the Messiah, the anointed leader, would rule as a king. And what do kings do? They rule. That's what they do. 
No wonder the palm was used on their coins to signify their political pride and expectations. And then they used the word Hosanna, which literally means save, save us, save now. And this is a good, this is a good thing. This is a good word for us to use. It literally means save us. But you know, eventually it became a sign of praise. Hosanna doesn't just mean, Lord, help me. It also can mean, we believe that you can. And how many know that's the highest praise when you say, I need your help. I can't do this. I need you. That's what they shouted to him. And the fourth and strongest evidence, like we have said, is the palm itself, that they were politically charged. When Simon Maccabeus conquered Jerusalem, the Jews took possession by waving palm branches. So what does it mean when they welcome him with palms? It means this. We're tired of being kicked around. We're tired of these Roman oppressors. We're tired of being the tail. We want to be the head again. We want to be number one again. And you are the man that we need. We welcome you as a warrior king. We welcome you as a conquering hero. And amid the clamor and amid the praise, Jesus looks not for a horse, but a what? Not just, he doesn't want an old donkey, he wants a young donkey. I mean, an old donkey would do the job. Give me a small one. Are you sure? Your feet might touch the floor. It's not, it's not very uh, strong of a metaphor. There are a lot of horses around here, Jesus. Can we get you a little horse? Give me the donkey, the young one. It's a comical sight. It's all out of proportion. His feet are dangling almost to the ground. This donkey is young, and donkeys already sometimes do what they want. They kind of just jerk around. Movements just are awkward uneven but by riding a young donkey jesus speaks volumes for those who would simply listen he chooses a symbolic act to drive home the truth of the matter and there are two truths that he wants to deliver i think first this was a deliberate claim to be the messiah I am the Messiah. Jesus told Peter, who do you say that I am? He told his disciples, and they said, they, everyone says the prophet, but who do you say that I am? And, and he says, you are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right, but let me tell you about that Messiahship. I must suffer and I will die. And I will raise myself. The, I will not be left in the grave. I will on the third day, be raised from the dead. And that's when Peter says, oh, no, you're not. 
No Messiah should die. A dead Messiah is a false Messiah. Jesus says, basically, this is translated from the Greek, shut up. (laughs) Get behind me, Satan. Only Satan would want to stop what I need to do. He claims to be Messiah by riding on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter, Jerusalem. Your king comes to you triumphant and victorious. Is he humble and riding on a donkey? Have you ever heard of donkey power? No. This is humility. Why is Jesus so humble? The second truth is that Jesus is claiming to be a kind of Messiah that they did not expect. A king bent on war rides a horse. A king that establishes his kingdom through peace rides a donkey. And Jesus paints a picture, but not too many people are ready to receive what he says. Let me ask you this. Do you understand that we are no different than those people who wave their palms? Do you understand that each and every one of us has expectations? Expectations drive relationships, don't they? Don't get quiet on me now. <laughs> expectations, I want, let me rephrase that. Your expectations, my expectations drive every relationship my relationship with my children what i expect from them my relationship with my spouse her expectations of me my expectations of her and therefore it goes on and on and on and guess what we have expectations from god even people that don't believe in god have a concept of god that may not actually match the real true living god the question is this are you aware of your expectations Have you actually had the nerve to actually have some self-awareness and say, you know what, these are my expectations, and I submit them to you. I don't know if they're any good. You know what a lot of us do with expectations? We keep them to ourselves, and we make them into demands. But a healthy adult says, these are my expectations that I can see. If I'm operating out of any other expectations, can you let me know? And I submit them to you, even the ones I wasn't aware of. And I want to make them in the form of requests. And, I, and, I'm, and I've worked through them. I actually, I don't want to have unrealistic ones. I don't want to have un- unhealthy ones. I don't want to have selfish ones. I want to have ones that benefit the relationship. And can you please tell me your expectations of me? This is what it is to be in relationship. To submit yourself to be known and to know. This is what Jesus wants. Jesus wants them to submit their expectations, but for him to clarify and correct any that are not actually his but this is not how we treat jesus because this is not how we treat other people we rather let people know what they're doing wrong and when they're doing it wrong and how they're doing it as long as they follow our program everything's gonna be okay so get on the program get with it and you know what we drive our relationships downhill into the ground 
and we wonder why we're not experiencing the grace of God more? Is it possible we're, we've, we're worshiping a God of our own creation? Is it possible that our, that our hopes are too small? Some people only want to experience the hand of God, help from God. There's nothing wrong with that. Lord, I need to eat. People need to eat. It's biblical to feed people. It's good to eat. But only people want something that God has in his hand. Other people want God's arm. Lord, save me. I'm in a mess. It's all my fault. Yes, I took me 18 years to say that, but help me. Some people only want his hand. Some people only want his arm. And Jesus says, do you want my heart? Do you want me? Because if you want me, I'm not going to conquer with war. I'm going to conquer by being conquered. And that is the way I will conquer death. See, Jesus had to taste death in order to conquer death. And he had to, sin had to be put on him. The scriptures say he became sin. We have to lay our expectations down. Let me ask you this. Are you ready to put your expectations down? Are you ready to submit them and for examination and to say, you know what, Lord, actually, I've been guilty of trying to expect you to do a lot of good things that I think are great, but actually, I don't really know what you want. I don't really know who you are. You know what we want? <laughs> there was a priest, Episcopal priest, Robert Capone. I don't think he's related to Al Capone. He says, the typical American paradigm of the Messiah is not Jesus, it's Superman. We don't want a Savior who does a stupid thing like dying and rising from the dead. We want a Savior who never dies. A superstar. A superhero kind of Savior. Like the crowds that welcomed Jesus that day, we too come to the city gate with our agendas in our hands, with our expectations. And we want God to act like Santa Claus, not like the Lord of Lords. And we want what we want when we want. Am I the only one like that? And a lot of times... What we want is for God to fix us or our family or our country, and that's it. And you know what? That's too small a vision. The kingdom of God is much bigger than our political parties. Let me end with this. There's a story that's told in the 1930s of the great theologian Karl Barth. This is someone who, who was trained in liberalism, who through reading the word of God has like a rebirth. And he rediscovers the scriptures in a new way because he sees that everything points to Jesus Christ. And he was speaking to a group of German pastors in the 30s. In where? Germany? He spoke for an hour and never mentioned Hitler. 
And when he was asked why he had failed to comment on the key current issues, Bart replied that he had the joyful task of proclaiming Jesus Christ. So why would he waste his audience time with mentioning of a nothing? That nothing created a whole lot of damage. But he says it's nothing in comparison to the greatness and the humility of our Lord who can undo what people do and do what no one else can. Jesus rides into Jerusalem and he rides into your heart, into your life right now. And we wave palm branches But be aware that we are waiving our expectations. Be careful. Be careful saying, I will only serve you if you do this for me. Be careful with saying, before I serve you, I demand this. Be careful. You've just put yourself in charge. That crowd, just like the crowds of our day, we want political solutions. There's nothing wrong with that. We want military solutions. We got to be careful with that. We want economic solutions. That's good. People should work. People should eat. Nothing wrong with that. It's too small. Our world believes where power and strength are found, that's where truth is. But a man riding on a donkey to a lot of people means nothing but this man on the donkey offers them and he offers us a cross of our own he says follow me will you follow him on his terms or will you continue to expect him to fit into your design let's pray Lord we're guilty of this we confess that we often create a false system, a false God, where our enemies are yours. But Lord, thank you that you know how to deal with all of that and that you teach us through your humility to trust in you. Teach us what it means to serve you, to know you. Teach us what it means, Lord, to submit our expectations and to come to you in boldness with our requests, but all the while, not just searching for your hand, not just asking for your arm, but to know your heart. Help us to love you with everything. Help us to love our neighbors. I pray for the person here who's here, and they feel so, you feel so far away from God. You don't even know how you made it here. And God says to you, you are mine. All that time you were fighting me, what good did it do? Don't resist me. I'm the one who knows you. I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who will save you. I'll even save you from your own expectations you've placed on yourself or that others have placed on you. Live with my word. Be filled with my spirit. Follow me. Lord, we follow you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.